1: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was forced to clarify her remarks yesterday after she thanked George Floyd for sacrificing his life for justice, which drew criticism for glossing over the injustice that he was murdered by a police officer. For many, the comment was disrespectful and baffling at best though perhaps not for Susan Page, who mentions Pelosi's struggles as a public speaker and a lot more in her new biography of the most powerful woman in America. The book, in Page's words, does not make the case that Pelosi's great or not great. It makes the case, Page says, that she's been important. We learn more after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page can easily rattle off House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's accomplishments, the highest-ranking person in Congress to oppose the Iraq War from the start, Page says. She brought the AIDS quilt to the National Mall, and the Affordable Care Act? It wouldn't have happened without her. But the history-making Madam Speaker, who represents San Francisco, would not be holding the title had Hillary Clinton won the election in 2016. Pelosi had planned to retire then. It's these lesser-known details and more that Paige shares about the most powerful woman in America in her new biography, Madam Speaker and the Lessons of Power, Nancy Pelosi. Susan Page, welcome to Forum.
2: Mina, it's such a pleasure to be with you.
1: So with Hillary Clinton as president, Pelosi knew that the causes she'd fought for would be protected. Is that why she decided that if Hillary Clinton won the election, she was going to basically ride into the sunset at that point?
2: Well, of course, at that point, Nancy Pelosi was 76 years old in no workplace other than Congress. It would It be surprising that she wanted to step away at that point. She, she wanted to spend time with her nine grandchildren. She's talked about writing another memoir. I sure hope she does that. Uh, But so I think I think she was ready to step away. But election night 2016, she said it was like being kicked by a mule when she realized that Donald Trump was going to win the election. And by the end of that night, she knew she was not going anywhere.
1: Yes, she really describes that shock and pain to you. One of the things that uh, I thought was interesting was you recount her interview with PBS's Judy Woodruff where she's asked why she's so confident in Clinton's victory and she replies that she had faith in the American people. Is it your sense that that faith took a beating, (laughs) that it faltered some for Nancy Pelosi after the results of that election shocked her so much?
2: She says she couldn't believe that that Trump had won the election. Now, she was not alone in misjudging how that election was going to come out. But her feelings about Donald Trump were pretty strong. Right. Uh, after the Access Hollywood tape, uh, after some of the things he said about immigrants, uh, She, I think she could not believe that this man would be elected president. And it then became her call. You know, she really then became the leading Democratic face the opposition the democratic opposition to donald trump through the four years of that disruptive presidency that followed
1: yes you talk about how basically it it crystallized her key characteristics i think is the way that you described it that in many ways just before she was about to retire you know she ends up with these last four years where she feels like her experience and her power really means that she should stay in this position. And ultimately, it ends up being the four years that that really do define her in many ways. Can you talk about what you mean by crystallizing her key characteristics?
2: You know, she was uh, a, a legislative master at holding together Democrats in the House, uh, at the at at with the 2016 election, there were some Democrats in the House who were ready to move to a new generation of leadership. The top right. three leaders in the House all pretty advanced in age, but suddenly that fact that she was so senior meant not that she should step down, but that they needed her to hold on because you saw her really utilizing all the skills she had developed over decades in Congress, relying on some of the people that she had dealt with during the financial crisis or during the passage of the Affordable Care Act to steer Democrats down this difficult course of the last four years, particularly those first two years where Democrats did not control any branch of government. Republicans controlled the White House, the House, and the Senate, right. and her, she it made her she made it her mission to try to prevent as much as she could them from doing things she thought would be damaging. You know, dismantling the Affordable Care Act would have been at the top of that list.
1: Um, I I love when you write she had the power and experience to stand up to him and the aplomb to stare him down, the singular figure to decide whether and when he would be impeached. One of the things that is so true is we do hear so much about how Nancy Pelosi is incredibly skilled at the inside game. And one of the things that I thought was really great about your book was that we were able to get those details about how she played that inside game. One of the most... uh, One of the times that she was most frequently cited as just being a master of being able to wrangle the kinds of votes that she needed for controversial legislation was the Affordable Care Act. And I'm wondering if you can share the anecdote about how she succeeded where President Obama failed with Indiana Democrat Joe Donnelly.
2: So Joe Donnelly had voted against the Affordable Care Act the first time around. Uh, When it came back and there was this final crucial vote uh, under this procedure called reconciliation, uh, they really needed his vote. President Obama called him to the White House, sat in the Oval Office and said, I I need you on this vote. I need you making it about Barack Obama. Nancy Pelosi, and that did not persuade Joe Donnelly to vote for, for for the act. So Nancy Pelosi did something different one thing that Nancy Pelosi is known for is knowing the members districts better than they know it themselves. So she didn't lobby Joe Donnelly herself. She called the Reverend Theodore Hesburgh, the famous president of Notre Dame, uh, the school that Joe Donnelly had attended. He viewed Father Hesburgh as almost a father figure to him. So she called Uh, Father and said, will you talk to Joe Donnelly for me? So he called uh, the congressman and didn't lobby him to vote for it. What he said was, I know you're going to do the right thing. And at that point, Joe Donnelly decided, well, yeah, the right thing is to vote for it. And he did. (laughs)
1: <laughs> We're talking with Susan Page, USA Today, USA Today Washington bureau chief and author of the new biography Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the lessons of power. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What moment in Speaker Pelosi's career defines her for you? What what act or policy defines her for you? What do you want to know about Pelosi that Susan Page might be able to shed light on? Because you really did have unprecedented access to her. She was willing to sit down with you 10 times, Susan
2: Page? So I started the book. I signed a contract for the book without having any agreement with her on whether she would talk to me, which is uh, risky business. Uh, but I had interviewed her, of course, over the years here in Washington. And I thought she was likely to talk to me at least a little. So I go into this first interview with her in the speaker's uh, office. And uh, we've so I've got one interview. I've got no promise of a second. And she gives me a, a Dove bar. She has one herself a Dove bar. You know those ice cream bars coated in chocolate. Yeah. So I bite into the Dove bar and I scatter little bits of chocolate all over the pristine carpet in the speaker's room in the speaker's office. So there I am at the first interview frantically trying to pick up melting pieces of chocolate out of her carpet and I thought this woman is never going to let me back uh, in her office again. But Fortunately, she did. I ended up with 10 interviews. Never again, though, an interview at which she served me any food.
1: (laughs) Well, if you'd like to join the conversation, listener, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org we shared a little bit about the way that she she basically was was very good at getting people to do what she wanted she was a little bit more of an aggressive arm twister say in the affordable care act um the Affordable Care Act debate and trying to get the votes there for the legislation. But what I was struck by was actually how frequently you said she had a much lighter touch, um, as exemplified by the anecdote you write about trying to get Hakeem Jeffries to sign on to the Iran nuclear deal. Can you share that story?
2: Yes. So, you know, Politico did a profile of Nancy Pelosi about more than a decade ago. And John Bresnahan, their veteran congressional correspondent uh, at the time, uh, described her as an iron fist in a Gucci glove. And that strikes me as being just about perfect because she does have a Gucci glove in that she can be very persuasive. She can be kind to members. She can uh, be aware of what really matters to them, what motivates them. But she can bring out an iron fist when she needs to. In the case that you're talking about, about Hakeem Jeffries, by the way, a potential successor to her as Democratic leader, uh, he was uncertain about uh, his position on the Iran nuclear deal. And again, President Obama wanted his assurance that he wouldn't vote uh, against it. That was really the issue before Congress at the time. And Nancy Pelosi didn't push Hakeem Jeffries to support it. What she did was she got Hakeem Jeffries a seat on Air Force One on a flight to uh New Orleans for the anniversary of Katrina. And during that flight, Barack Obama had a serious conversation with him about the Iran nuclear deal. And in the end, three days later, Hakeem Jeffries announced that he would support it. Uh, So it was an example where she didn't bring down a hammer on him, but she set up uh, a situation that made it easier for him to be persuaded that this, this was what he should do.
1: Yes, and then called him up and said, hey, how was your conversation? (laughs) (laughs) How
2: was your flight?
1: Yeah, (laughs) it was very, very subtle. And I think one of the things that that also really shows these two examples, both with Donnelly and Jeffries, and that also comes through in your book, is that she really does understand the power of knowing what motivates people. Yeah.
2: You know, there's another example. You know, we've, we've, we've... I write a lot about her friction with the squad and with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and that's all true. But one member of the squad, she's very close to, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. Um, And that's because that started when uh, Omar won the Democratic primary in that safely Democratic district in Minneapolis. Uh, Pelosi called her to congratulate her. Omar was very nervous about a house rule from the 19th century that would have prevented her from wearing a head covering, her hijab, onto the house floor. And Pelosi said, Don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. And Omar was so, continued to be a little obsessed about that, she said. She said it was, she told me it was like the reaction that refugees have, she herself being from a refugee family, that if something can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And Nancy Pelosi realized this and began calling her regularly to check in to reassure her that she was going to take care of this. Uh, So often that when the phone would ring, and it was Nancy Pelosi, her staff would turn to her to the candidate and say, it's anti Nancy calling. And here are two, two members of Congress who remain actually quite, quite close despite the strains that the squad has sometimes had with Speaker Pelosi.
1: Yes, fascinating. Again, we're talking with Susan Page. If you want to join the conversation, 866-733-6786, the number to call. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Curious to know what moment, act, policy defines Nancy Pelosi for you, or what you want to know about Pelosi that Susan Page might be able to shed light on. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief at USA Today, who moderated the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris and wrote a best-selling biography of Barbara Bush. Page has written a new biography of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and she had unprecedented access to the two-time House Speaker, 10 interviews over two years, and with 150 of Pelosi's family members and friends. Her new biography is Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. And you, our listeners, are with us with your questions and comments about Speaker Pelosi. And you can also join us at 866-733-6786 on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. This listener Leslie tweets, Speaker Pelosi saved our nation during the last four years and before and continuing history will remember and recognize her importance. Another listener tweets, she thanked George Floyd for being murdered. Susan Page, one of the things that you definitely talk about in your book is that while she was very skilled at the inside game, you say not so much at the outside game. What do you mean by the outside game?
2: outside game is politics is giving a great oration, a, uh, spe- an inspiring speech. It's, it's going on the Sunday morning TV shows and, and engaging in the back and forth in an engaging way. That is not Nancy Pelosi's strength. I mean, she's done it a lot. And she, in fact, in her early days, she tried to work on becoming better at the outside game. One of her first uh, aides in Congress during her first term told me that she would. they would sometimes sit in her office and look at sp- cop- uh, tapes of speeches she had given or comments she had given to try to figure out how she could be more effective in that role. It's still not what she does best. The inside game, though, where you're trying to get Hakeem Jeffries to support the Iran nuclear. Dealer, You're trying to get Joe Donnelly to vote for the uh, Affordable Care Act. Or when you're standing up to a president in the Oval Office, which is harder than it looks, that is what Nancy Pelosi does better than anybody else in Washington today.
1: Yes, certainly, though, the Floyd comment that that listener tweets about is, it exemplifies in part some of that. I mean, in terms of her struggles with the outside game, it's an incredibly important and emotional time when she's making these kinds of comments, suggesting that he, Floyd chose to die instead of the injustice that he was murdered by a cop. The reactions to that range from baffling t- to just plain appalling. And I wonder if you think it's the fact that she has blinders around these kinds of issues or the fact that she isn't a good speaker, as you say, and struggling to try to be a good orator. Maybe a little bit of both,
2: I th- possibly some of both. I-, I agreed that I agree with uh, with your listener who found that comment uh, at least inartful, if not offensive. And I think Pelosi realized that after she said it, she she tried to do a little cleanup with a tweet that took a more had more appropriate language, uh, marking the legacy of George Floyd. Uh, you know, there's there's some other she's there's some other examples of where her failure, her her problems with public speaking or with public language has created problems. I remember when the Affordable Care Act was being Debated, she said at one public event, we have to pass it to find out what's in it. And she has an explanation about what she actually meant with that comment, but it was one that Republicans seized on and played over and over and over again uh, as an example of why not to be for the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, this is, you know, you'd think after all these decades in politics, perhaps she wouldn't uh, make a misstep like that. I think it's especially flummoxing in this case, because of course, it was well known that there was going to be a verdict one way or the other in the in the George Floyd case, and so there was some time to prepare remarks that would have been more appropriate it's
1: interesting and And with this particular comment, it is being played over and over again as well in conservative media. One of the critiques that you do say about Nancy Pelosi is some of the her inability to communicate well has also been what has made her a target and toxic to conservatives. She's been faulted for that. Uh, Do you think that's fair, that her toxicity with conservatives is a lot of her own doing?
2: Well, I think it reflects the politics of our day. Uh, I think also, you know, the way that Nancy Pelosi has been um, uh, caricatured, throughout her career and vilified in there are some cases in which it's an example of sexism uh, there are some cases in which is, it's a reflection of uh, the fact that she has a pretty strong ideology uh, that made Republicans characterize her as a, famously as a San Francisco liberal, uh, which is not, Republicans do not mean, as much as I love San Francisco, Republicans do not mean that as a compliment. Uh, so it's a, a mix of things. You know, she says, here's, here's what she's, she says that it doesn't bother her and that if she weren't effective, they wouldn't be attacking her. Uh, and that might well be true. But it is also true that while she has united Democrats, she has also had the effects at times of uniting Republicans against her because she has been a target that they have used a lot. Well,
1: let me go to callers. We've got lots of calls coming in. Ginny in San Francisco, start us off. Hi, Ginny.
3: Hi, how are you? Well. I I wanted to um, just relate a story that – stuck with me for, you know, at least 10 years, I guess it was after Nancy was first speaker of the house. And then it might have been 2010 or 2012, Republicans took over the house and she had to step down. And there was talk in the newspaper, at least about her not staying on as minority leader. And, um, Later that same year, on the top of Twin Peaks, when we're unfurling the pink triangle, I play in the San Francisco Lesbian Gay Freedom Band, and Nancy was one of the politicians speaking there that day. And she came over to greet the band afterwards, and I said to her, I'm so pleased that you decided to stay on as minority leader. And she looked at me and said, that's why I did it. And I Mm just thought... That was a great thing to say because she's speaking to her constituent. So I just wanted to share that.
2: Oh, Ginny, thanks, Susan Page. That got it, a
1: reaction from you.
2: It did. That's such. Uh, it's a graceful comment, isn't it? We were talking about how sometimes she's not so graceful in her comments. That's a very graceful comment uh, to Ginny. I, I, I'm glad to hear that story. You know, one of the things I discovered in re- doing reporting for the book is that she actually did seriously consider stepping down in 2010 when Democrats lost control. Uh, of the uh, of the house uh, and uh, Richard Trumpka, who is president of the AFL CIO, told me that he and others who had been allies of Pelosi learned that she was seriously thinking about this. He said he called her and said, "Nobody can do this but you. We need you to stay on." And of course, she did decide to stay on. Uh, and. She is the, you know, among the things she's done that is historic, she is the first uh, leader since Sam Rayburn to go from the minority to the majority to the minority to the majority again and continue to be the leader of her party's caucus.
1: Thanks, Ginny, for the story. Let me know next to David in Corta Madera. Hi, David.
2: Hi,
0: I'm looking forward to this book, this page. And I wanted to just comment on something and get your reaction and perhaps clarity. Uh, that was, I think it was immediately after the first
4: impeachment. Uh,
0: one of the conservative reporters who was shouting out questions uh, was, "Why do you hate Donald Trump so much?" And her discipline and her core values caused her immediately to react rather angrily, and she said, "No, I do not hate. My religion does not allow me to hate. We're taking the the right steps in defense of the Constitution, or something like that." I have just always been very impressed with how uh, much her backbone of core um, Catholic values has held her up, and I was wondering if you could comment on that. Thank you.
2: David, thanks. David, thanks for your call. Yes, I was there when that happened. It was at a news conference, one of her weekly news conferences up on Capitol Hill. She had one of those uh, this morning, in fact. And it was James Rosen, who uh, formerly at Fox, uh, a conservative uh, broadcast correspondent, our I guess I, a broadcast correspondent for conservative outlets. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Um, who asked her that question as she was walking out? And Pelosi almost never responds to questions when she's done at these news conferences. She walks yeah. off. You can shout a question. She doesn't turn around. This really got her. She. This got under her skin. She did not like this question, and she turned around and gave the answer. Just as as David said, it, you know, she is a she is a serious Catholic. Uh, it is a. She was uh, raised in a Catholic family. She attended a Catholic girls' school uh, in elementary and high school. She went to a Catholic girls' college here in Washington, D.C., uh, and she continues to be someone who uh, takes her faith seriously.
1: Well, thanks for, for that comment, David. We've got some more coming in online. Amy writes... There's so many, I think she's just wanting to moments or policies that define Speaker Pelosi. And Amy writes, there's so many, but one that comes to mind is the moment she tore up Trump's State of the Union speech. That was epic and spoke volumes. Leslie writes, her show of contempt for Trump after two of the State of the Union addresses, giving the off-kilter applause and tearing up his speech remain a high point in terms of the public and symbolic side of her speakership. Now, you, Susan Page, were able to get a little bit of the background story that was not known about what led to her tearing up that speech. There's been a lot of theories, especially when they saw the little notches, suggesting that maybe the paper had been pre-ripped because she would planned to do it all along. But tell us what you learned.
2: So pre rip but not because she planned to do it all along. Uh, what an extraordinary scene that was. I, I'll, I've been in Washington, you know, 100 years, and I had never seen a scene like that confrontation between the head of one branch of our government and, and the other. She told me that she that she, so she's sitting up there and President Trump comes in and gives her a text of his State of the Union, which is customary. And she's scanning through it to see what he's going to say. And she sees something she thinks is untrue. And she wants to make a little check mark there so she can come back to it. So she looks for a pen and she can't find a pen. She doesn't have a pen on her. Obviously, you don't take your purse up with you when you're the speaker of the house. There's a little drawer there. She opens a little drawer. There's nothing in the drawer. Uh, so she makes a tiny tear in the margin of the paper, so she can find this thing that she wants to challenge. And then she keeps reading and she finds another thing she thinks is untrue. So she makes another little tear. And she goes through the speech. And by the time she gets to the end of it, there are tears up and down this speech text with things that she thinks are untrue. But she said she had not decided at that point what to do, whether to actually tear the speech up. Uh, Then President Trump honored Rush Limbaugh. It is hard to find a figure that Democrats find more toxic than Rush Limbaugh. He finishes the speech. Uh, She is uh, steaming. The Democrats in the chamber are all steaming about this. She stands up. She, She said he decided to shred the truth. So I decided to shred his speech. She stood up. She tore it four times into pieces, tossed it on the desk in front of her, Trump is in front of her, basking in applause from the Republicans in the chamber. And Mike Pence is standing next to her, pretending not to see what she's doing.
1: We're talking with Susan Page, USA Today Washington Bureau Chief and author of the new biography, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Your listeners can join us at 866-733-6786 by emailing us, forum at kqed.org, or getting in touch on Twitter or Facebook. would love to know what moment actor, policy in Speaker Pelosi's career defines her for you, or what else you might want to know that Susan Page can shed light on. Jeffrey writes, in 2009, Democrats held the White House— the House and the Senate, but failed to enact any structural changes that would have headed off the disaster of the Trump presidency, such as apportionment reform or admitting new states. People my age have watched Pelosi in power for our entire lives and wait for that power to be used. Jeffrey's comment reminds me of of some other criticisms that I have heard of Nancy Pelosi in the sense that they felt that she maybe things like this tearing up the speech were were performative more than they were really powerful um, and that maybe she didn't do as much as she should have been over at least the course of the last Trump four years, though Jeffrey in particular is also citing previous decades as well. Could I get your reaction?
2: So I think that, uh, Jeffrey, thank you you for the the comment. She is a Master of the art of the possible. And this has been a source of strain even to this day between her and some members of the squad, some of the more progressive, younger uh, members of Congress who have very high aspirations and want to work toward them, want Medicare for our, want the Green New Deal. Um, That's not the kind of hall that Nancy Pelosi has been. she She's very liberal. She's kind of a New Deal Democrat in the tradition of her father, the mayor, former mayor of Baltimore. Um, but she is very much into what can we actually get through. And there have been times when she's pursued big ambitions like the Affordable Care Act. But it's also true that there are things that she thinks are, even if she supports them, she doesn't think they have a chance of getting through. One example Current day would be proposals to expand the Supreme Court. Yes. Uh, you know, the group of House Democrats have submitted that legislation. She was asked if she's going to bring it up on the House floor, and she said no. Uh, so this has been this has been the source of frustration for some liberals in Congress for sure.
1: And do you attribute it in part to the fact that she seems to really? Um highlight and think is critical for a legislator that they are, quote, operational, that that you describe as the highest praise she can give to a politician, that she she does things that she thinks are realistic and that she can implement?
2: So, there, you know, there are different kinds of political leadership. And you think of someone like uh, Bernie Sanders, who is a real aspirational leader. He had big goals, big ideas for a long time a pretty lonely voice on behalf of some uh, causes like the $15 minimum wage or expanding Medicare. Uh, And through his career, Bernie Sanders has not gotten a lot of legislation done, but he's had an effect on our politics. He's moved the Democratic Party in his direction. Then there's Nancy Pelosi, who's, who's a politician who wants to see what can I get done? I want to get the biggest thing I can get done done. And if it's half a loaf, I'll take half a loaf. Uh, so they're really different. There are different approaches to what is the best way to pursue the policies that you are think are right for the country.
1: Hmm. And I, it sounds like this is also a source of some of her frustration, at least with the members of the squad that she feels like, I think she described it in your very interesting story, uh, about talking with her after she was called out, I believe it was by, um, Congress member Ocasio Cortez's chief of staff for not being a very good leader, that she feels like they are less operational and more focused on being pure and, and I I think the way you put it, like praising uh, posing for holy pictures.
2: Yes, that's not my language, that was hers in the right. interview. Coding this, her. Yes. Yes. I had this interview. You know, I these interviews were scheduled in advance, obviously, and some of them came on really Days of big events. So, I had an interview the day the House impeachment hearing started. I had an interview with her the afternoon uh, of the meeting at which the the dispute between the Squad and Pelosi and other Democrats in the House really blew up. And she said in this interview she she was so um, she was so wound up. She said that some people come to pose for holy pictures and uh, to show here's how pure I am, and that other people came to actually legislate and get things done. And she said those pe- the, the people who had been, the squad had been so critical of her and others, they're going to find out when they want to get things done what's entailed in that.
1: It's interesting to me how much she and members of the squad and Ocasio-Cortez, for example, have managed to downplay the tensions to some extent or managed not for those things to boil over in a public way that they would not want to see.
2: So I think they neither side thinks it's in their interest to have... The strains between them be public um, uh, become, you know, it's catnip for reporters, right, Uh, (laughs) to have a dispute between the two of them, not really helpful for their causes. Uh, So I think that's one reason they have tried to downplay
1: Again, we're talking with Susan Page about Nancy Pelosi, the subject of Susan Page's new biography titled Madam Speaker. It looks at Pelosi's ascent to power and how she shaped the Democratic Party's identity and future. You, our listeners, can join us with your questions about Nancy Pelosi, your thoughts about her leadership, 866-733-6786, the number, email address forum at kqed.org. Reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim.
3: I really want women uh, to know their power, to value their experience, uh, to understand that nothing has been more wholesome
4: in the political process than the increased involvement of women.
1: That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in a 2004 interview With C-SPAN and the speaker is who we are talking about today with Susan Page, U.S. Today, USA Today Washington bureau chief, author of the new biography, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Your listeners are joining us with your thoughts about Pelosi. And Joan writes, sometimes when I see Nancy Pelosi maneuvering her way through Congress, especially when people behave badly, I think the skills she uses boil down to having raised five children. She can manage a fractious squabbling. Congress, no problem. That certainly <laughs> is something she said to you, uh, before Susan Page in terms of how she manages all of it, all of it. She says, don't forget, I had five kids in six years.
2: Yeah, pretty, pretty remarkable. Jo- Joan, she would, Nancy Pelosi would completely, uh, endorse that idea. You know, she was the, the child of, uh, big political family in Baltimore the Dallas sandros were as prominent in baltimore as the kennedys were in boston but she told me that it was really her experience as wrangling these five children, also close in age, gave her the skills, the best possible skills, to use as a legislative leader, um, as you know, de- governing amid chaos for one thing, getting organized, uh, figuring out what was really behind the actions or the motives of somebody. Also, forming shifting alliances. I think in every big family there are constantly shifting alliances, as there are in Congress. So she says that was great training, and in fact, that's a case she made when she tries to recruit women to run for office and they're reluctant. They say, oh, I'm, I'm just a homemaker. I'm just a wife or mother. She says, those are the skills that will serve you well if you run and win public office.
1: Well, this Sner writes, please talk about her social and economic privilege that enabled her to rise to power. I mean, you described her as having an iron fist in a Gucci glove. <laughs> the Gucci glove is also, in par- I mean, she is, she's a very wealthy woman, Susan Page.
2: Um, she is one of the wealthiest people in Congress. Uh, the last time there was a study of that, she was, I think, number seven, the seventh wealthiest member of Congress. Uh, and so she does come from a position of privilege. One of the things that her her husband, Paul Pelosi, a prominent figure there in San Francisco, one of the things he told me that his financial success as an investor and as a businessman in San Francisco He thinks was was helpful in enabling her political career because it gave her a kind of a kind of independence, uh, an ability to go into politics without worrying about the family finances. So that's how he portrays it. Uh, And uh, but it is certainly true that uh, that she comes from a position of wealth and portrays herself and I think has acted as a kind of classic Democrat standing up, not so much for people of wealth, but for people in need.
1: She has, though, been criticized, especially on the left, for being a little too comfortable with big money.
2: Yes, I think the, you know, I think there's a, So the the, the highest praise for Pelosi is also the biggest criticism. The highest praise is what a master of our polarized politics uh, at getting things done. The criticism is she didn't transform our politics. She didn't make our politics less partisan. She is comfortable in a very partisan world. She didn't make big money matter less. Instead, she became an enormously successful fundraiser.
1: Well, Mike writes, Pelosi is speaker because she's the best fundraiser and she gives money to her fellow Democrats. Let me go to Maria in Burlingame. Hi, Maria.
3: Hi there. Um, you know, I, I live here, but I spend a lot of time visiting family in Arizona. And during the election, the last two election cycles, I was simply amazed at all the ads Republicans run featuring her prominently on every channel. Um, weaponizing her. Um, and I, I was kind of stunned because I guess that makes me think I live in a bubble here. But I wonder if they do this across the board in other states. And that's just my comment. Thank you. Susan Page.
2: Maria, I don't know if you're still on. Why do you think they use her weaponizer that way?
1: Oh, she she's not she's on. gone yeah okay yeah.
2: maria i'm sorry i i would have loved to have asked you that yes it's nationwide she has been used as a weapon especially obviously in redder states and states with more republicans um you know republicans portray her uh as a san francisco democrat as a liberal out of step with the rest of america as a hard partisan uh who is pushing through things who has ability to push things through congress that they don't like i think You know, I think sexism is a part of that attack as well. I think it is easier uh, in our politics to demonize women than it is men. I think some of the critique that is leveled against Nancy Pelosi is sexist in nature.
1: Well, Paul writes, Nancy Pelosi is a force, courageous and fierce, delivered with poise. The right wing trolls have behave as most weak minds do. They mimic and tear down those that are clearly beyond their mental grasp. Let me go to Sylvia in Oakland. Hi, Sylvia.
3: Hi there. Uh, I wanted to make a quick comment. When I heard the, the George Floyd comment by her, I really thought um, to look at it through a Catholic lens um, would be beneficial. You know, I mean, I'm not Catholic and I'm not Christian, but I thought that she made him into like a martyr, you know, on its way, his way to sainthood. Which, you know, like as progressives, uh, Black Lives Matter look at it in the same way. I think she just expressed it Uh, like a mere human is doing something superhuman and at their expense are doing good for the world in a way.
1: Well, Sylvia, uh, so I
3: wanted to cut her a little bit of slack.
1: I see. Yes, well, there have been a range of reactions to this particular comment, and, and I thank you for registering yours. Uh, let me go next to caller Tony in Palo Alto. Hi, Tony. Join us.
4: Hi, Kim. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Tony. Go right ahead. Oh, okay. I've been a long-time listener. Um, yeah, uh, my only one and only one uh, face-to-face uh, interaction with uh, Nancy Pelosi left me a really good impression of her. And this was like more than 20 years ago when she was a Congress uh, person from San Francisco. Uh, she was invited to a uh, reception in one of the internet, huge internet uh, conference, and uh, the reception was sponsored by one a big company in Silicon Valley. And uh, we hit it off when she asked me a uh, where I'm from, what I do, I said, uh I'm from Baltimore. And then she starts saying, Oh, she was born in Baltimore and uh, and we talk about mayor in Baltimore and Oprah Winfrey. And then um because I'm a tech geek and I'm really interested in technology and the future of technology, I start talking about the technology and all that stuff. And she listened quietly and she asked me uh, uh good questions about technology. Mm. And uh that's my impression of um, Nancy Pelosi. I'm a, a political tech geek, but when it comes to Nancy Pelosi, I have really good impression.
1: Yeah, it showed, and it stayed with you. Uh, Tony, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Well, Richard asks, how do you explain her longevity in the position? Has she ever been seriously challenged for her House seat? Who is the likely successor to Speaker Pelosi? We touched on some of these things, but... but... I thank Richard for the question, because I would love to get more of your thoughts on this, Susan Page.
2: So we think that, uh, I, th- I think that it is likely this is her last term as speaker, uh, and most likely that means her last term as uh Representing San Francisco in Congress, and I would you would have a better sense than I do about her possible successors for the seat. But in terms of her possible successors as leader of House Democrats, there are a couple of them. One is Hakeem Jeffries, Congressman from New York, now in the leadership, close to Pelosi. Another is Karen Bass from your neighborhood. Uh, you know, California Congresswoman, former Speaker of the California Assembly. Her name has also been discussed. I think there'll be multiple candidates vying to get this job that she has held for so long. You know, no one since Sam Rayburn has held the leadership of their party as long as Nancy Pelosi has, and through both majority and minority status. That is really unusual and a sign of her political skill that she's been able to survive.
1: Mm -hmm. What does she think the next speaker needs to have? She actually even wrote down these thoughts because she was considering her retirement before.
2: Yeah couple things. She thinks they need to be able to raise money as she's done. They need to be able to appeal to all the wings of the party. Uh, no easy task. And that's likely to be a point of strain for the next for her and for the next leader of House Democrats as well. Um, you, you know, the, the job of speaker. So it's mentioned in the Constitution. It's mentioned in the Constitution before the presidency. It's an article one, not really defined, though, what the job is. The job has become very central, much more powerful than it has been Uh, typically in the past. Newt Gingrich made it more powerful. Nancy Pelosi has made it a real center of power, uh, taken power away from uh, House committee chairman uh, that used to be the power brokers uh, on on Capitol Hill. They still have power, but the speaker really calls the shots. And you never saw that more than in the issue of impeachment, where it was up to Nancy Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi alone. If President Trump was going to get impeached over what, and how well
1: lee writes nancy knows how to wear and wield those designer duds to great effect but has she been substantially effective she's been there a long time and what have we to show for it she's an elite insider who above all protects her own your reaction to that susan page
2: so lee i i I don't think it's true that she hasn't delivered anything i think uh I, I, i tell you here's a story. I interviewed Hillary Clinton for this book, and she said that, uh, and Hillary Clinton, of course, famously tried and failed to uh, devise uh, a big health care expansion during the Clinton administration. So during the Obama administration, as once once the Affordable Care Act passed, Hillary Clinton called President Obama. She was overseas at the time and said, congratulations and Obama said to her, the person you should call and congratulate is Nancy Pelosi. You know, the Affordable Care Act would not have passed without Barack Obama. It would not have passed without Nancy Pelosi. She pushed that through at a at a time when many Democrats and some White House aides were ready to give up on a big bill. And. One, just one other quick example. During the financial meltdown in 2008, it was Nancy Pelosi pushed through a very unpopular bill that economists say prevented us from having another Great Depression. She hasn't done everything. Uh, there, You can criticize her for the things she hasn't achieved, but you can't say that she hasn't achieved some big things.
1: We're talking with Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today, Susan Page, who also moderated the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris, and uh, wrote a best-selling biography of Barbara Bush. Her new biography is Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Did you get any sense of, of what Speaker Pelosi's biggest regrets or mistakes are, That what she views as those?
2: I can tell you what her biggest regret is, uh, at least in the conversations that I had with her, and that was her failure. To convince George W. Bush to withdraw from Iraq, uh, you know Pelosi was, as you said earlier in the hour, the most senior member of Congress to oppose the Iraq war from the start. Uh, she became Speaker in part because the country had turned against the war. That was one big reason Democrats gained majority status in 2006, making her Speaker. She was convinced that she would be able to, with it, with public opinion behind her, she could persuade. President Bush to change course in Iraq. She tried to do that. She failed. Uh, she told me that the decision to invade Iraq, she believes, was the biggest mistake in the history of the country. And I think she feels regret that she wasn't able to turn it around.
1: Well, let me go to caller Nancy in San Jose. Hi, Nancy.
2: Hi.
3: Hi.
1: Go um, right ahead.
2: Uh, I wanted to say that,
3: well, I, haven't, I don't follow her super closely, but when I think of her, what stands out in my mind is when she sort of did an old-fashioned filibuster and talked, I don't know how many hours, many, many hours, like eight or ten yeah. or something, and she stood up there wearing high heels. I'm like, <laughs> is she wearing adult diapers? <laughs> how can she do this, you know, at her age? Um, uh, I mean, I was totally flabbergasted. I will never forget about her. Well, you were talking
1: about when she stood up uh, doing a filibuster related to uh, citizenship for dreamers. Um, She wants that to be a a priority for President Biden's first 100 days. There are many things that that Nancy is bringing up, besides the fact that I I have been surprised by just her ardent support for immigration uh, reform and, for example, what... uh, Recently, she she did nudge uh, President Biden to increase the number on refugees as well. It has been something that she's consistently been willing to stand eight hours for in high heels. Uh, so I don't know if you want to shed light on that, Susan Page. The other thing, though, is it really does sound like in many ways her high heels <laughs> are a big part of her identity and have meaning in lots of different ways.
2: Well, they're certainly remarkable. She always wears them. I've never seen her not in stilettos. Uh, I could not spend a day. In four-inch stilettos, and she wears them all the time. At age eighty-one, in fact, I interviewed um, Pelosi last week—not for the book, obviously, but for USA Today—to talk about the events of January sixth. And she told me that I—I I, I asked her if she thought the mob, if they had caught her, would they have killed her? And she said, "Yes, that's what they were setting out to do. But they would have had a battle on their hands because." I'm a street fighter. And then she lift, we're sitting in the speaker's office. She lifts up her heel. She lifts up her foot, points to her stilettos and says, besides, I could have used these as weapons.
1: Well, Mike writes, I believe Nancy Pelosi is the only person, along with Congressman Clyburn and Rep. Stacey Abrams, who could have prevented a second Trump term. I don't think it's an understatement to say she saved our democracy. There is one more anecdote that I wanted to ask you about, Susan Page, and reading your book, and that is when you describe getting the Nancy Pelosi treatment. (laughs) This is a conversation that you said you had with her about something you wanted to include in this book that she didn't necessarily think was worthy. Can you describe that encounter and your reaction to
2: it? So This is our ninth interview, and I'm asking her questions about... um... Various things, and one of the things I'm asking her about, she doesn't think should be in the book. Doesn't think it's warranted, uh, and I thought it should be in the book. And um, what then followed was the most intense conversation I've ever had. And what was remarkable was she didn't threaten me. She didn't. Th- raise her voice. She asked one question after another in a very probing fashion. She forced me to defend myself and defend my point of view. She didn't let me off the hook. And I, and I did, and I included this, uh, this matter in the, in the book, but I can't, I can't tell you how shaken I was by the time I walked out of her office. It gave me a sense of what it must be to be a member, you know, some junior member of Congress in there with Nancy Pelosi when she wants to change your vote. I went home. It was the middle of the afternoon. I went home, I crawled into bed, I poured myself a glass of wine and I watched uh, reruns of Rizzoli and Isles on TV for a couple <laughs> hours until I regained my strength.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, The book is Lessons of Power, and so what would you say is the lesson of power that Nancy Pelosi learns and shares the most Uh, that may even be exemplified by that interaction?
2: She she does have several lessons of power, but the one that is the primary one is this, and it's one she learned from her father. No one is going to give you power. You have to seize it. And that is advice she has taken herself in her political career. When uh, members, political hopefuls come and complain that they live in a tough district or there's an incumbent, she'll say, nobody's going to give you power. You have to seize it. If you want it, you have to get it. Uh, And that is the number one Nancy Pelosi lesson of power.
1: You have to seize it. Well, I, I assume you're not going to tell us what in the book you didn't think was worth including. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you included a lot, and it sounds like you included it anyway. Susan Page, congratulations on this biography. Really appreciate you talking with us about it today.
2: Mina, it's been a privilege to be with you. Thank you.
1: Susan Page, USA Today, uh, Washington Bureau Chief. The biography is Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Thanks to our listeners for sharing their questions and reflections on Speaker Pelosi. Thanks to producer Caroline Smith for producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. You've been listening to Forum. Mm